welcome to another commission podcast from the Bald Move crew. Uh, we had someone commissioned us to do Lola Rent, aka Run Lola Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Lola Rent is perhaps a German name for this movie. Yeah, it means Lola Runs. Okay, that's a fitting title because she runs a lot. In I this like the film. American route where they doubled up on the run because that's that's the clear yeah, yeah. attraction here for sure. Uh, why don't you tell us who commissioned it and a little bit about the film itself? I apologize if I if I butcher your name. It's what I'm known for, and and uh, <laughs> the gentleman in question. He's got a very Teutonic, very Nordic, very strong carved out of granite cliff from a uh, uh-huh. a glacier type of name. It's Stig Peterson. All right, that's a solid name. Uh, I hope I did that, gave that justice there, Stig, who will now be called uh, The Stig. The Stig, sure. Uh, the Stig wanted us to do uh, Lola Rent. I wonder if he is German himself. And that he he's, could be. W- he's wanting to wave the uh, German flag of cinematic patriotism. In which case, yeah. good choice. This was a... Uh, I could think of much worse German movies that I would watch. <laughs> I don't know that I can think of five more German movies. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right there. In researching this, I f- was shocked to find that The NeverEnding Story is what? a German film. Yeah. Whoa, mind blown. Yeah, that's... that's I uh, trade you traditional German name. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also Cloud Atlas... Is a German film who's directed by the same guy who directed uh, Lola Rint, uh, Tom uh, Teichver. Okay. He's obviously a very visual, kind of visionary style director. He also did another movie called Perfume, hmm. which I'm not sure when that came out. Some in the early 2000s, uh, and I've not seen it, but I remember reading a lot of reviews back in the day. Uh, it's about a guy who has a, like almost a supernatural scent of smell. And he becomes a perfumer or parfumer or whatever you call that. Okay. And he ends up... Uh, Works mur- at JCPenney's behind the counter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. He ends up... It's more <laughs> medieval, but he, he ends up murdering women to capture their essential scent. And he creates the perfect Ooh, scent. Creepy. Um, yeah, it's... it's. I was... I, I'm going to have to read it now or uh, watch it now. But anyway, uh, this was a, a, a really big hit back in the day when it came out in 1998. Okay. And I had seen it before a long time ago, and it was really cool to see it again. What'd yeah, you... my, my brother had, had seen this many years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, and he said he really liked it. And uh, I don't know. I had, I'd seen the cover, and I'd seen the woman in it um, who, you know, is now from The Bridge fame. The Bridge. Uh, what is her name? Uh, Frankie Patente. Okay. Uh, I had seen her on the cover, and I was thinking, uh, like, Fifth Element around the time. Sure. And, like, what is this film? I just never got around to watching it. So I'm kind of glad that it got commissioned because it forced me to sit down and watch it. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you can really see uh, how much of movies like Crank owe owe its visual style because a lot of the stuff that they did there with the really basic lo-fi but impressive camera work. Sure. And the blending of like reality and surreality. And the frantic pace of it all. Definitely, you can see the the influence and inspiration there. Um, Also, so if I would describe this, I would say that this is something like a mashup of Crank, uh, Groundhog Day, and The Seventh Seal. (laughs) Like some Uh very austere, you know, expressionist. Very philosophical, wondering what is life, what are decisions, what is fate, sure. what's destiny. 
Um, a little bit. You said the butterfly effect. When butterfly talking effect about is it. definitely in there. I think the, uh, Hackers is certainly in there for me, given the soundtrack. And also Manny just looks like Dade Murphy from Hackers. <laughs> same vest, same hair. Uh, yeah, so a, a lot of different movies i've seen kind of mixed up it's funny because i feel like a lot of the bald move listeners will be familiar with this film because it was a pretty big deal when it came out yeah and it's i wouldn't say it's a cult film but i feel like it's definitely it's one of the top 100 foreign films uh that they Hmm. i think the afi maintains and so it's available is it it wasn't available on netflix we were kind of shocked youtube you can watch the original german uh version with subtitles Mm -hmm. on youtube for free which i'm not sure if that's legal illegal yeah it was there so we it's a fact (laughs) if it's been taken down since it's probably our fault um but that you can check it out there for free if you want um it's under its original title lola rent uh, R, it's rent R-E-N-N-T if Double you want to check that out yeah so it seems like a lot of the core f- themes of this film are the choices the one makes in their life and how that affects other people's lives sure most obviously the setup where Lola's just chilling at home and she gets this friend to call from a boyfriend saying he's dead unless he can get her $100,000 in 20 minutes mm-hmm. And she, reca- you know, she recounts how basically a stop for cigarettes led to this chain of events where she got her moped stolen. Then she had to get a taxi driver who wasn't familiar with the territory. So he took her in the opposite direction and she got there yep. just too late to pick this guy up. Which, which caused meant- him to take the subway and forget his bag because police walked in be- just because a homeless guy tripped over his foot. Yeah, like- there's all these little butterfly flaps that yeah. lead to a hurricane in this man's life because he's involved in some sort of criminal enterprise mm-hmm. where he has to get $100,000 to a very tough-looking guy named Ronnie or he's going to die. Yeah. And so it seems like it's a pretty straightforward thriller, uh, except for, again, the gonzo camera work. Uh, and some of the flashes, like every single time that Lola runs down her staircase, as soon as she hits her the door of her apartment until she gets to the front door of her apartment building, it turns into this really crude, sketchy style that chrono- chronicles her encounter with a dude in the stairwell and his near rabid dog. Yeah, it looks like it's a, like a hand-animated cartoon. Right. Uh why do you think they did that? What is it supposed to say about the character Lola or her situation at the time? I would almost bet that it was entirely a cost-saving measure. <laughs> oh, you think so? Because filming her running down, and that's like the only like really big and plausible stunt that she has to do, like three different ways of jumping over mm, this thing. Yeah. And it lets her like fall down. You know, she got thrown down a set of stairs. Again, animated. You think about the other stunts. They're, I don't know, someone gets hit by a car, but not really. Yeah. They did some kind of trickery there. Sure, she gets hit by a car. They drive, through, up on one. they drive through a, a glass window. Like, yep. straight trope, you know, guys carrying windows across the, the, the yeah. street. Except for this become, like, kind of the plot point. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is, she tries, so she goes and she tries to go to her father to get this money who turns out he's having an affair uh, on her, their mother that none of them were aware of. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't help her. In fact, he throws her out of his bank, says he doesn't really care uh, that she needs a hundred thousand dollars or about her boyfriend. Sure. Uh, sh- the, the first time, which 
And she's got to meet her boyfriend by noon or he's going to rob this store for the money. Yep. She gets there and she just comes around a corner, but she's just too late. He goes into the store. They get they rob it successfully and she gets shot by the police on the way out of the building. Yeah. And you're thinking, wow, we're like 30 minutes in this film. This is the shortest film of all time. But that's when the Groundhog Day starts. Mm. At the end of each one of these sequences, it fades to like this red washed light where her and her boyfriend have first her. She has this kind of, I don't know, a moment of relational crisis where she doesn't feel like her boyfriend properly loves her or doesn't or just, love I, her specifically. Yeah, yeah, that's more it. She She's questioning, like, well, how what where do I fit into time and existence as a whole, pretty much, right? Like, yeah. if this weren't me here, there would probably be someone else here. And if if you hadn't known me... It wouldn't make a difference to you. So that's interesting. So that's I consider that that's very romantic, but it's also a very immature thought. The longer I'm on this planet, the more mm-hmm. I realize that okay. there, you know, there's probably a hundred thousand people out there in the world that I could be happy with. Maybe even more. I mean, there's seven billion people in this world, Jim Jones. Sure. You're not not a big believer in the soulmate thing, huh? No. Or I, just that there are a shitload of soulmates. There's a shitload there. of soulmates. <laughs> and I think life you have to find your wonder in your two stories, if the person you're with, your two stories and how your lives led you to be with each other. Okay. And then that's the romantic thing, not that sure. this one person out of the whole world yeah. was meant to me and I can and meant meant for me and I can never be happy with anyone else again. Yeah, yeah, and, and the idea that um, even though there are other people out there who might be suited to you, those aren't the people you found, right? right. Life has led you; the occurrences, the butterfly effect of life, has led you to be in bed next to that person. Sure. And they might not even be the perfect person. They're not, they're out of the compatible people. There's probably a whole bunch more compatible. Sure. The best you can ask for in life is the person that you're currently with is the most compatible you've ever been with in your life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. that's all yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's really the, the most you can ask for and that they feel the same way about you. And that's uh-huh. fairly rare already, you know, sure. cause normally there's, you know, this pattern, someone is settling, or they're making interest, you know, just, just choices based on their family history and their relation history that might not be the healthiest. The best you can ask for is that this is the best person you've ever been with, and the same can be said for the other person. Okay. Uh, having said that, that's a very common thing to kind of lie awake and think about. And sure, but I like how it it butts up against the second instance of that happening, where right. now he's questioning after the fact. He's questioning if I were to die. Would I be replaced by someone? Would would there be someone else in this situation with you? It's the, it's like two bookends for the entire depth of uh, what, what do you call that? Low self esteem. <laughs> okay. You know, I want. It's, it's, and and it's funny because she, he asked her at the kind of towards the end of the conversation with her, mm-hmm. "What do you want to hear?" Yeah, yeah. And then at the end, when he was unsatisfied, she's like, you know, what what would you do if I died? She goes, well, I wouldn't let you. I wouldn't let it. I wouldn't allow it. Or I'd throw you in the ocean for shock therapy. And she tries to give these kind of cutes. Yeah. And, well, this is coming right off the back of him getting hit by a truck, right? Sure. And killed. Yeah. So we clearly know that she doesn't have the power to stop it. Right. Uh, if if that were the case. It, right. It's, it's... Are these intended it's to be real trying... conversations? 
or are these that like they've had in the past or are these like I some kind know. of existential extra dimensional conversation like that's more what they were because they're like super they're monochromatic in the way that they're completely sat desaturated to pure reds and black yeah yeah um yeah um, or it's black and white except for the white has been replaced with red like lola's hair <laughs> yeah it's it's a very red scene uh, I, I just think it's interesting her her not quite understanding that she's she's promising something that he refused to promise during the previous portion of the conversation. Mm. Like, like, what do you want to hear? Well, Lola's probably telling him what he wants to hear there, that she wouldn't let it happen. But, of course, mm. he knows that that can't be true. Right. But well, uh, he wants to hear. Power over that. And then I think the third time that she goes through it, she finally understands. Yeah. Exactly, you know, cause and effect and this sort sure. of butterfly uh, position in life. So, I mean, I feel like that what she wanted to hear was a hundred long list of unique attributes that made her yeah. love her and only her. And what he wanted to hear was that I guess her life would just completely fall apart and cease to have meaning if he disappeared. Maybe. Yeah. Is that what, you, you know, and then he kind of questions like, is that what you really want to hear? Now, and so we have these two, we have these three 20 minute scenes of her trying to get the money. The first time she's completely unsuccessful, she gets killed. Second time she manages to pull a gun on her dad at the bank. She gets there like just a little too late because she's, she's attacked by the dog and she falls down the stairs. No, she's tripped by the fucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> falls down the stairs and she limps just enough that it kind of slightly delays her in all her mm. different encounters. So she, when she gets to the bank, um, her his dad is her dad is arguing with her his lover in all of them. Uh, she gets there just a few seconds too late, so they're you know it, it's it's more clear that he's having to argue with a lover than just a colleague, mm-hmm. and that emboldens her to take the gun from the security guard and hijack a hundred thousand dollars from him. Sure, she gets the money, but she still gets there too late. Yeah, right. Or, or she doesn't. I, so what happens to him there? He gets run over by the truck in this one. Like, he finally sees this her. Way, instead of going into the store, she yells, Danny, or whatever. Or Manny. Manny. And instead of going in, she's slightly ahead of the schedule this time. Yeah. He turns around and starts to walk across the street towards her, and he she get he gets run over by the ambulance. Yeah. The same ambulance that she ends up in later on. Who turns out is carrying a friend of her father's? I think it was... Uh, yeah, I forget his name. Mr. Mr. Meyer. Yeah. Uh, I think that was him. I like his, I like his chain of stores in North America. Because there's, in the third go round, there's a car crash, which she causes, um, with her father and Mr. Meyer. So we don't know that Mr. Meyer was in that ambulance the whole time. Sure. But in the third go round, he definitely definitely is. is. And he's involved in a car wreck. Yeah. Well, he's always involved in the car wreck, though. But the this is a different the, one. Yes, it's like he gets in two fender benders with a bunch of German street toughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get out and look like they're going to kick his ass every time. And the third one, she delays him because he actually hits her instead of narrowly, you know, stopping and waiting for her to cross and then pulling out. He hit, hits her, um, and so he, that the the car full of German toughs miss him. Though they do later get in a head-on collision. They do, um, and Which, that's what sends him to the hospital in the ambulance. But was he in the ambulance the other times just for different reasons, or was he in the ambulance he because been. he got his ass kicked by those German street toughs? Yeah. I wonder if that's what the implication is. He could have been, but certainly, I mean, him being in that ambulance, and, and she jumps in it. Like, she takes the opportunity to say, hey, I can get to the store faster if I jump in this ambulance. Right. And he's in there. 
he kind of comforts her or sorry other way around she comforts him while he's dying and he saves him saves his life she stabilizes him not with a kiss but with just the power of hell hands yeah he was flatlining how, how did you know that they because they had the, the ekg thing yeah okay. uh-huh. all right hmm. and the guy pumping this guy's chest kind of looked at her like you know, All right, take over. Sprecken Z Jesus or whatever. I don't know what you, what, <laughs> oh, what, what that would be. but uh... Yeah, so I, I think it's super interesting that the very, very minor changes that are mm-hmm. made to her path each time cause completely different outcomes for these people uh, in most cases. Like you look at the lady that she crashes into when she rounds the corner who this has the is baby something carriage. We haven't actually talked about that there's yeah. mini vignettes as well. Yes, there there are characters that she meets along her path. The same that, characters every time. Yeah, that then have their outcomes changed by how she encounters them and at what time she encounters them. And the way they can the way they show that cinematically is when she hits them it kind of like freezes and mm-hmm. then it shows a like almost a polaroid like a of like 12 black and white photos that show their future outcomes yeah some of them are dark some of them they end up dying one uh like the you know this one particular lady that i thought was the most interesting the first time she hits her she she ends up losing all her money she gets her kids taken away by the state and she ends up kidnapping a child from a bassinet yeah the second time I, she wins a lottery, yeah, she gets, hits her just slightly later. Yeah, and, and then that, the she, she goes on to win a lottery. Her and her husband are wealthy; they have a family in a nice house. Mm-hmm. The third one, she misses her. Yeah, but in, and instead of like swearing at her, she just kind of scowls, and she becomes the world's only Roman Catholic Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> And I say that. Yeah, it's really funny. I say that as a Jehovah's Witness. No one else probably understands this, but they show at the end of her sequence, she's standing there holding a watchtower and awake that Jim and I both recognized with German titles. But it's like, I know that fucking awake. That's the one about the water shortage. Uh um, But her path to getting there was very kneeling before the priest, taking communion, getting baptized. That's not what witnesses do. happens. Yeah, there's no crosses in the witness faith, none of that. But we're trying to figure out, it's like, why did they do it that way? And we realize that no one knows what the fuck Jehovah's Witnesses get up to, except for they stand on a street corner and bother you with Watchtower and Awakes. Yep. Yep. Or knock on your doors. So it's like they got that part of her religious conversion. And they just assume the rest. And like, what do witnesses do? I don't know. Make some kind of generic religious yeah. experience. They've got to believe in Jesus, right? That Probably, means they have crosses. Yeah, and sure. And yeah, they'll do all that all stuff. No, no. Uh, but that's, you know, I don't, it's just a, those didn't mean anything other than the whole butterfly flaps yeah. its wings in Hong Kong and you get a tornado in Kansas. I mean, that's just the chaos theory aspect of it. Sure. And I'm I'm really trying to figure out how much of that they want us to read from this whole scenario. I mean, I I think that's entirely what the film is about, but I'm not certain because you have films like Butterfly Effect, which have done it, you know, if if that's the case, they have redone it uh, over and over again. Sure. And I'm sure that that could be true. And you wonder how many of these, like, for example, there's a scene out of The Leftovers this season that's almost a direct lift from her eventual, uh, the last 20-minute fate, where she takes the, she has like 50 pounds, 50 Deutschmarks in her pocket, yeah, and she bets three times in a row on 20 black on a roulette table and generates the money she needs to save her boyfriend. None of those numbers are right, but yes, you're 
Okay. The, the, the general idea. The Black 20, that's right, wasn't the, it? The Black 20, yes. Okay. Yes, you're correct on that. I'm, I'm <laughs> certain about my Black 20s. Um, and what's the ironic thing is by the time she solved the personal side of her equation cosmically, so uh-huh. she's got a non-ill-gotten source of $100,000, her boyfriend unravels and coincidentally finds the bum that stole the 100000 from him. Yeah. And peacefully regains it back. And gives it to the gangster, and everything's fine. So she ends up meeting up with them, and the movie ends with her then her knowing that they've got a hundred thousand dollars in hand, and he doesn't. Yeah, and they just walk off hand in hand, and then so street. she gets this massive karmic reward. The other thing I thought was interesting is that she seemed to, when she first went back in time, it seemed like an effort of will, like she just rejecting. I'm not going to let this happen. Ah, yeah. I thought. But but she also seems that she carries the awareness of her other consciousness with her into the second life. Because in the first one, she didn't know how to use a gun. Yeah, they had and to show her about the safety. Her boyfriend has to teach her how to take the safety off. The second one, she just knows that. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think if there – I feel like there's something in the third one too where it seems like she was learning. Yeah, I didn't get a good sense of how much – she retained from oh, the, I think she remember that like I've done this all before. I think that from the second third, she tried to tell the ambulance guy to give her a ride, and the third one she just got in. She didn't even Yeah, ask. she jumps over the dog instead of you know tripping over tripping it or, or getting being, growled at being or afraid. And then she yeah. also roars at it, which I thought yeah. shows kind of her like coming into her potential and sure and determination and yep. Which is another funny scene where the uh like sexism, the rare the rare times that sexism works in a, a woman's favor. She just robbed this bank, and like the SWAT team had already encircled it. Oh. And she comes walking out, and they're like, uh-huh. and she's like, "Oh shit, they've already got me!" And they're like, "No, get out of the way, ma'am, move." Yeah, a, do you want to get killed? Get out of here. Yeah, there's a there's a dangerous bank robber with a gun inside. <laughs> but they had no, I they didn't even consider her being that threat. Sure, yeah, and so she escapes scot free. Uh, I I just love the style of this movie. I mean this this movie. It just oozes style from from the soundtrack being mostly techno to a the lot frenetic of the pace of it and the cuts and just uh, everything about it is very stylized and I really enjoyed that. Right. Yeah, I uh, that one. Um, I think it's. It looks like it's the. Um, hmm. I was trying to figure out what the, 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 the primary sound, the primary music that's the I wish I was a hunter of a different kind of meat or oh, yeah, that yeah. plays over and over and over. And On our third run. Yeah. I probably – no, I think it happens in all the runs, Does that it? particular refrain. And I feel oh, like maybe. it's maybe a total of like 40 minutes of the whole movie's run times, this stuff going <laughs> through. But it really gets stuck in your brain that way. Um, no, you're right. It's – and I would say it was style over substance, except for there is a lot of substance there. There's a lot of substance, but the style is what really hooked me right off the bat. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of, you know, it starts with this weird kind of dream state floating through this crowd of people. And we're getting a, a narration over the top, kind of asking questions about what it means to be a human and like the nature of time and existence and all this stuff. Um, and, and then it pulls out and we see the crowd is forming into her name uh which i thought was super interesting what okay so it seems like this is all just random chance and like butterfly effect but also she interjects her 
like she, when she resurrects, it's a it's an act of will. And a couple times in the movie, I think once on each run, she screams like does this primal scream oh, yeah, yeah. that like shatters windows and eardrums. It crystallizes <laughs> a decision in someone. Like it's uh, it it it, it crystallizes a decision their father makes. It seemed to override the laws of chance on the roulette table. Yeah. Uh, what is that? What does that mean? Man, I wish I knew. <laughs> that even... I, I didn't understand that part of it. That even in a world that's kind of random, or that you've got this chaos theory that we still have some sort of agency? Yeah. That we can, we, can cha- we can change our fate if we try hard enough, if we scream loud enough. So do, do you think it's an, a, just an optimistic message thrown in there to say we're not all chance? Like... I- the world isn't as chaotic as everything going on around Lola. I don't know. I would say it was optimistic, except for every time it happened, it felt like a desperate primal. It did. I mean, she was. Not... I mean, this chaos is swirling around her, yeah. and she has no control over it until she screams and makes that casino make makes the roulette spin come up the way she wants, and things work out for her at that point. Okay. Right? I mean, that, that's the when first she gets the she money screamed, and she finds Manny. The first time she screamed, her father said, yes, I'm going to help you. But then she ends up just throwing him into the elevator and kicking her out of the building. So in that time, the scream <laughs> did not help. It didn't work, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a much more sustained scream the third time around. <laughs> <laughs> the first you don't succeed, scream, scream again. Yeah. And if we go Monsters, Inc. theory, really she what? should just laugh because those have like uh, ten times the power of scream anyway. Yes, they you, do. And especially if you get a children, a child alive, you can power a whole fucking city with that shit. <laughs> um, the other thing I thought was interesting is that in all three runs, Manny's sitting there in this phone booth and he's trying to get different people to give him $100,000, which that's very a, matrixy, especially with that red phone that she's talking on. And sure. Reality is kind of bending around this phone in some ways. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of red associated with Lola. Oh, yeah. Her hair, her apartment decoration, the ambulance. Um, in the ambulance, even that, uh, what do you call that existentialist vision that she has at each one of her deaths? Yeah. Where it's just bathed in red. What was I saying? So you got her scream, but you also have this blind woman that's outside the phone booth on all three runs. And she's trying to get the attention of Manny inside. And he blows her off, except for on the third one, he follows her blind gaze. That's what leads her to the homeless man that has yeah. the money. The fuck does that mean? Like, it, the Could, scream it seems be... to be overriding fate, and yeah. the blind woman seems to be, but sometimes you gotta, you gotta... Maybe forest for the trees sort of thing? Or or you have to rely on blind luck, or you have to rely on fate and happenstance? Maybe she is fate. Maybe mm. she is chance. She's one of the three fate sisters, and the other one has the eyeball at the moment. <laughs> Probably. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like they're... There are a lot of small things and ideas hidden in this film that one watch is not enough to pull out. I, I feel like a watch... Or two watches watch 15 two, years apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like another watch or two might give better insight into exactly the things they're trying to say with all these different uh, kind of rotating characters. Hmm. But I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'd watch it again and I'd go, yep, saw that again. <laughs> the other thing is this film does not overstay its welcome. No. It's like an hour, 20 minutes. 
Uh, feels just as long as it needed to be, really. And I also, I, I it, when I first became aware that this was going to be a groundhog type day, we're like, oh man, um, the fear of any groundhog day is that you just get burnt out on seeing this one particular thing. But yeah. I think it even out groundhog day, groundhog day, there wasn't any real common takes between or even situations. They're all slightly different. Uh, each each particular time, even the animation of her yeah. running down the staircase had three separate outcomes each each time. Yeah, when when it first happened, I was super worried that uh, I, I I said out loud, "I hope they shorten this up." Yeah, like, I don't want to see but her entire didn't. run again. But then they didn't. But it yet it remained interesting exactly. because they mixed it up enough. They didn't have the Ned Ryerson moments. No, no, the same things weren't happening to her over and over again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never uh, have too much insurance. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> uh, they don't have any of those moments. Every, every, every single interaction was completely different. Because yeah. I think uh, – why is that? Because uh, they had to communicate that Bill Murphy and Groundhog Day wasn't sure what was going on, where it seems like Lola was self-directing this. She was causing it. So she knew what was going on, and they didn't have to explain what was going on. Maybe. Maybe. I do have to – with with Bill Murray being my favorite uh, comedic actor, I do have to say it's Bill Murray, not Bill Murphy. Shit. Can't, can't let you butcher his name. Shit, dude. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, you could be right. Bill Murphy. She, she has a little <laughs> more context for what's going on. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Groundhog Day is one of my favorite films, too. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. I, Classic. I, it is, is required in my house that we watch it every year. Yeah. On Groundhog Day. It's not every, on TV and I watch everyone it. Everyone fucking does it now. Yeah. But I was yeah. doing it before it was cool. Oh. I'm a groundhog hipster, baby. Uh, you know what? Teekfer? Teekfer? Is that how you say his name? I you know what he was doing before anybody else? What? Rolling credits top to bottom. The, the uh, opposite way so, of what you expect. But is that a German thing? Or is that a no. Tom Teekfer thing? Uh, I I saw a pointed comment about it. Uh, it is not just a German thing. Okay. It, it is something he specifically did for this film. I don't know what it means. But I thought it was interesting, and it's something I definitely noticed at the end of this. Certain. In fact, I was watching, I'm like, what is different? Because yeah. it doesn't, like, jump out, like, if the character's reversed. But I'm like, oh, it's not going top to bottom. It's going bottom to top. Yeah. Yeah, think of every credit scene you've ever seen. Uh, the words float up. It's the opposite direction. These, the words go down. Is that some kind of Christopher Nolan me- memento-esque <laughs> suggestion that time's a flat circle that spins backwards? I don't think so. Can we get Russ Cole on here to drink yep. some Lone Stars and break it down for us. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, probably the final thing I noticed about the film. I I don't know what else you want to talk about uh, uh, in regards I, to this one. I like I said, I don't. I thought it was the perfect length. It uh, held my interest throughout. I recommend yeah. everyone watching it. You can sure. do it for free on YouTube. <laughs> and there's a lot of interesting things that uh, make you think about watching it. Yeah, definitely. And, and maybe watch it uh, more than once. I might check it out again just to see and also, kind of those points I missed. I, I We're kind of making it seem brainier than it is because this has a lot more in common with, like, Crank as far as, uh, you know, its kinetic sense and its action sensibilities than it does with... Waking you know, Life, for instance. Yeah, I, like I, mean, I feel like we're making we did... it seem like a conventional indie film that's a lot more thinky and cerebral, which it is, but it's also got it a also lot. It just be a joyride. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't have to engage your brain and just watch it, and it's it's super interesting just watching the, the different possibilities 
you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other interesting thing is I went to read some reviews on this and kind of get a, a greater context for it and and some meaning. I read Roger Ebert's review of this, mm-hmm. yeah. which surprised first, me. First thing I always do. He, yeah, me too. Uh, he gave it three stars, but his review didn't have much of substance in it whatsoever. He was like, yeah, they you know do a bunch of cool stuff with the, the shooting of it, and there's some questions that are asked about humanity and the butterfly effect, yada, yada, that's it. Yeah. He didn't really break it down very well, and I was surprised by that. I wonder if he's a fan of that particular method of movie making. What do you mean? Like Just... really hyper kinetic, hmm. you know, with that music and with, I, I don't know. It, there's such a juxtaposition of the style of the film and the questions it's asking. Yeah. That somehow works in this film for me. But also it's not. not elsewhere. I think it's, but also it's, it's not, that's what I'm saying. It's not so heavyweight that you have yeah. to think about these things. It's, and I feel like that's maybe what was the deal with Ebert. It's, yeah, it's a great movie, it's, but I just, you know, unless something would stop him to make him think deeper about it, he probably wasn't going to. Cause the, yeah, the he, he definitely is, praised the style. The film doesn't have any real new things to say about or particularly interesting things to say about causality and stuff. It's just making those statements in, in, uh, along the way to telling the story. Does that yeah, make sense? in an entertaining way, sure. It's kind of, I guess, a lot like Matrix in that regard that came out a year later, that it's very stylish and has a lot of underpinning substance, but you don't need to get into the philosophy to enjoy the action parts or that's vice true. versa. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think that's about all I have to say on Lola Rint. Yes, thank you, Stig, for uh, commissioning this podcast. If you'd like yeah. to find out how you can get in on this custom podcast goodness, you can go to subbable.com slash baldmove. Look at all the different reward levels. Uh, again, thank you, Stig, for this one. So we've got a couple of these backed up. We'll probably be hitting that one a week until we're caught up with the backlog. So stay tuned for what do we do next week? Do you know? Uh, the That's, quills, I think. I think it's the quills is next Quill, on deck. Quills, yeah. uh, we got uh, some some uh, an, an innovative. Uh, not it, it'll be an interesting take on the wire. Oh yeah, went yeah. a lot of back and forth as this particular listener to kind of find something that we'd both be happy with because you know I'm like, dude, I don't want to take your money. And 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 because I've got this whole wire series planned, but he was really hell bent on us talking about the wire. So we we are, we're going to yeah. do a an Omar anthology, yeah, Omar Little anthology. So that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for that. Check it all out on baldmove.com. And thank you once again, Stig. Yeah, absolutely. See you then.